0: Welcome to ShopCast, Talking Retail Strategy, with your host, Michael Dart. In this program, we'll spotlight the changes you need to know about in the world of retail shopping and help you plan for the future of the industry.
1: Now, here is Michael Dart. Good morning and welcome to ShopCast. I'm your host and I'm Michael Dart. And this is ShopCast, the show that aims to illuminate everything that's happening in the world of retail. And I'm very excited today because I have two great guests who are going to join me and share their perspectives. First guest is Jerry Rittenberg. He is executive chairman of Party City Amscan. Uh, actually played an instrumental role in building up that great company, and he's going to share with us the story of that and lots of the insights. And my second guest is Dana Telsey. Dana is CEO of the Telsey Advisory Group an investment advisory firm, and spends all the time looking at consumer and retail and really understanding what's going on. Before I get to the guests, I just wanted to to offer one theme, which I think uh, is important because it plays an instrumental part of uh, the story of Party City and Amscan, and it's something that I've written pretty extensively about with Robin Lewis over the years, and that is taking control of the value chain. In many ways, uh, people think about it as vertical integration, which it is, Uh, But it also incorporates uh, potentially elements of that, if not the entire vertical integration. For example, developing a private label strategy. About 10 years ago, uh, Robin and I outlined the criticality of this as being one of the fundamental principles in our book, The New Rules of, of Retail. And it really features very heavily still in the way in which we think retailers need to be developing their strategy. And that is developing a private label strategy, owning as much of the creation and obviously the presentation of the merchandise as they can. And it's becoming increasingly a big deal. According to NPD data, approximately 15% of unit sales are now private label. Accessories, it's 14%. Housewares, it's nearly 30%. And apparel, it is over 30%. And they're all growing faster and faster. The reason I wanted to highlight that is because it is an integral part of the story of Party City Amscan. And an integral part of the strategic success of that business. And our first guest today, Jerry Rittenberg, is going to share with us um, the insights and how Party City was built. And just to give it some context, uh, obviously, I think nearly everybody is familiar with Party City. If you've ever hosted a party, the, the best place to go and get all of your supplies. But in 1997, Party City was about $210 million in revenue, it's now approximately $2.4 billion. So just an incredible growth and change in the dynamics of that company, and for 22 years, Jerry oversaw Party City and Amscan and helped build that. So Jerry, welcome, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Michael.
1: So you've been instrumental in building uh, Party City Amscan over the last 20 plus years. Uh, as I mentioned, a story that's uh, pretty incredible has core elements of the strategy I just talked about: are controlling the value chain. Uh, but I'd love to hear from you, how you first got involved in building the business, and uh, and uh, your path there a little bit.
2: Okay. So uh, I actually started my career out uh, with Philip Morris. I was in a printing division they had called Millprint. I spent uh, over 10 years there, and I was trained in pretty much every aspect of printing, extrusion, laminations, and coatings. So I have a, a, a technical background. And how things are made uh, and laminated. So when I decided to leave uh, Philip Mars uh, back in the uh, 80s, I went east where I come from, New Jersey. And I hooked up with a friend of mine. His name was Sheldon Babiatsky. And I said to him back then, I said, you know, I'm looking for something and I want something new, unusual. Sheldon, can you steer me? And Sheldon at the time was working for a gift wrap company Uh, and had been there for over 10 years. He said, Jerry, there's a brand new business opening up and it's starting to flow across the country. I see it in my travels. I said, well, what is that, Sheldon? He said, it's uh, a party store. Now, being naive at the time, I thought we were going to go to the store to party. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I didn't understand that the store was full of party goods, which was mm-hmm. decorated plates and napkins and cups and table covers and pretty much everything you could imagine that uh, you have at a party. So when I looked at the business closely and I studied the process, I said to myself, well, I understand everything there is about how this stuff is made. Because that's my background. So I uh, made a decision uh, to look for a company to go to work for at the time, and uh, I ended up meeting with uh, the founder of Ampscan, John Fenningson. He pretty much immediately said, You need to come to work for me, and I said, You know what? I need a job, so I would like to come to work for you. So Back in the late 80s, I went to work for uh, Ampscan, and we were about $36 million in sales at the time. So the industry was very interesting back then because it was very small. And most of the stores were very uh, small as well, being 3,000 to 5,000 square feet. And they were in, in in a big disarray. They were, there was no organization. You could see that the business was brand new. And really how the business had started was the party good business was, uh, these, um, paper distributors who had lots of broken cases and, uh, lots of closeout merchandise that couldn't sell anymore. They opened the first party stores. And they were trying to just sell off their party goods. Uh, As time evolved, uh, the store itself started to get, and this is in in the late 80s, early 90s, the store started to get a little bit more organized and uh, more product was being made. At Amscan, Mm -hmm. we started producing about 1,000 to 1,500 new items a year.
1: Wow. And yeah.
2: our competitors were doing the same thing at that time. So there was lots of product, anything to do with a celebration, a uh, birthday party, a uh, kid's birthday being the biggest, uh, baby showers, uh, engagement parties, weddings, anything mm-hmm. to do with a celebration of any kind, product was being made for it. And so the stores started getting bigger also in the early 80s uh, – excuse me, in the early 90s. Yeah. And uh, they grew to like five to 7,000 square feet, which gave Amscan and, and their competitors an opportunity to continue to grow and do more product, which and so was just... uh, the way Amscan really grew was by developing uh, – Easily fifteen hundred new SKUs a year at that point, <clears throat> all the way up until uh, until the uh, until about ninety four. Yeah. Most of the product at the time was actually being produced in Hong Kong and Korea and Taiwan. Uh, but what happened was we saw the shift, mm-hmm. and everything started going to China. So we had to go to China. And so we actually moved some of our suppliers from Hong Kong and Korea to China. Yeah. And, uh, and then we moved uh, basically most of our product out of Hong Kong, Korea, and Taiwan into, into China at the time.
1: So this that's kind of the start guy-
2: of it, Michael. That took us up to about 95, 1995. 90?
1: And so up until 1995, Amscan was just a manufacturer and designer of product. Is that right? So, uh, exactly. So, we, ma- s- we
2: manufactured. We had our own manufacturing plants, which we do today. We have a paper yep. plate manufacturing plant. We started a napkin manufacturing plant, a cup manufacturing plant. We did some acquisitions back yep. in the early 90s, and we bought a plastic uh, plate and cup manufacturing plant. So we were designing and manufacturing and importing product at the time.
1: And so there was no retail, you weren't involved in retail at all at that point. The retailers were just buying all of your product and you were just selling it to, uh, to everybody. We
2: were a manufacturer and a wholesaler. We had no retail stores. Wow. Uh, we were just selling basically party stores that were starting to open up all over yep. the country.
1: Now, it seems like one of the big events that occurred back then was that Goldman Sachs took you public, I, I think, at that stage or around there, and then suddenly took you private with them again. And I was curious, you know, what they saw. It's clear you saw a lot in, in the industry and the business. And, and what did they see, and how did that potentially change the strategy that you were on?
2: Oh, yeah, so in, in around 95, uh, the family that founded the company decided that they wanted to get out of the business, so they took it public to try Mm -hmm. to get some of their their money off the table. And so Goldman Sachs, a different division, actually took them public. And then, unfortunately, the founder got sick, and so the family had said, not even a year later, you know what, at this point in our lives, it'd be better off if uh, we sold the company. So what we did was, we did a... a uh, deal with Goldman Sachs's private equity company in 1996, and took yep. the company private again. At that point, I became uh, the CEO of the company.
1: And at that point, were you pretty much set on the same strategy as a manufacturer? Had you started to think about um, this whole concept of controlling the value chain and uh, and moving a little bit, uh, if you like, up the chain mm. to to thinking about mm. becoming a retailer?
2: No, not not at that point. Uh, Ninety six. Basically, what we did when when Goldman Sachs came in, they wanted to grow. They're a private equity company. That's their objective. So they mm-hmm. came in and they said, "We have the finances to do acquisitions. Why don't you bring some acquisitions to us so we can uh, uh, decide whether they work for for Amscan or not?" So the biggest yep. acquisition we did at that point was Anagram Balloons. Mm-hmm. So it really entered us into a whole new side of the business, which was the Mylar balloon business. And at the time, Anagram was one of the biggest Mylar balloon manufacturers, and they manufactured all their balloons in the United States. And Mm -hmm. so there was probably close to 500 people working in their plant in Minnesota at the time. We did that acquisition, and that brought us into the licensing business, because Anagram had all the licenses for the balloons. Mm-hmm. And uh, short, shortly after that, we did another smaller acquisition and uh, in balloons as well, and we ended up being a pretty major player in the balloon business as well as the party goods business. Mm-hmm. And, and those so that, are- that kind of took us up to uh, 2002, and... Uh, that's when Goldman Sachs decided, you know, it's about time that we look to exit. And that's what private equity companies do. After five to seven years, they start thinking of uh, an exit strategy. And uh, Goldman Sachs, uh, in 2004, sold Amscan Anagram at the time uh, to Berkshire Partners and Western Presidio. Yeah. Uh, two more private equity companies. When they purchased us, the goal at the time was to still not really get into retail, but to continue to grow the business. Mm-hmm. But what we saw happening in the business was our biggest customer, which was Party City at the time, started to, to uh, do some of their own product.
1: Right. And
2: so we decided that, you know what? it may be the best thing for us to uh, look at doing an acquisition into the retail side of the business since we manufactured all the product anyway. I shouldn't right. say all the product. We manufactured at the time about 30% of the product that was in a party store. Yep. So the, after a lot of del, uh, deliberation, uh, you know, back and forth, because it was a very big decision because now you have a – Wholesale or manufacturer buying a retailer, which was kind of unheard of back then,
1: yeah. and
2: uh, you also because you had a lot of other customers at the same time, so it was a very uh, uh, interesting time in in Ampscans uh, uh, or in my career, I should say, because mm-hmm. I had to help make this decision that I was going to. Continue to be a wholesaler, but buy my biggest customer, who was the biggest party store out there, and try to become vertically integrated. And we did it. In 2005, we bought Party City, Yep. and we became a vertically integrated uh, retailer.
1: And Jerry, can we, we'll take a break now. And I'd love to come back and just talk a little bit more about uh, that decision, because that uh, is one of the biggest, I think, strategic decisions. Obviously, the company made, but it's one that I've seen for and been looking at retailers and wholesalers for some time, feeling more people should be doing that. So let us take a break now. We'll come back and let's go into more detail on this. You're listening to Shopcast, and I'm chatting with Jay Rittenberg, Executive Chairman of Party City Amscan.
3: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
4: Even if you've been in sales for decades, new technology, new buyers, and new dynamics create challenges your team may not be ready for. Value Prime Solutions enables you to focus on sales, on the prospects and customers, not the noise. And the sales framework you implement with them is simple, scalable, and proven. Check out ValuePrimeSolutions.com and ask how they can help you beat your target.
0: Only 12% of companies from the original Fortune 500 list remain on the list today. How do you ensure your organization stands the test of time? AT Kearney works with Fortune 500 companies every day to answer this question. Visit ATKearney.com to find out more. The American consumer market will soon include six generations for the first time. Prepare for the era of personalization and total connectivity with insights from consumers at 250. Join the conversation at ATCarney.com forward slash consumers 250.
4: Is email an important part of your business? It is for us. That's why Voice America partners with MailJet. MailJet lets us create impactful newsletters and deliver them right to the inbox fast. Microsoft, MIT, and Avis trust MailJet for their emailing, and so should you. Go to mailjet.com and use the promo code Voice America to start emailing for free today.
3: Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business.
0: You're tuned in to ShopCast, talking retail strategy, featuring Michael Dart as your host. Now, back to this week's program.
1: Welcome back to ShopCast, and I'm Michael Dart, your host, and I'm here with Jay Rittenberg, Executive Chairman of Party City Amscan. Jerry, just before the break, you were telling us about a pretty monumental decision for the wholesaler to buy their largest retail customer. Uh, not only do you have all the challenges now of managing a retail business when you've been a wholesaler, but also you've got to navigate managing all of your other customers as well. I'd love to get a, a sense from you of what that experience was like, what you learned, and uh, how things evolved.
2: It was a very difficult time for both myself and uh, um, and Jim Harrison, who is now the CEO of Party City, we had to uh, make sure that our wholesale customers were happy, and at the same time grow Party City. And yep. if we didn't do that, we were going to lose our wholesale customers. But we spent a lot of time and a lot of energy with our wholesale customers, making sure they understood they were still very important to us, and even today. Uh, which is, uh, uh, what, 13 years later, yep. uh, you could ask any of our wholesale customers, and they'll tell you we've always been very loyal to them. We've always tried to uh, do the right thing uh, for them as our customers. And, and what really has started to happen at that point, uh, a lot of the wholesale customers actually – came to us and asked us if we would buy them. Mm -hmm. And so we did some more acquisitions over the next five years, and some of them were pretty big acquisitions. We bought a 100-store chain of Party Stores, Party America, on the West Coast. We bought a uh, 200-store chain uh, a couple of years later uh, in the Midwest. Factory Card and Party Outlet. And uh, maybe about five years ago, we bought a chain, about 30 stores, uh, iParty on the East Coast. And we integrated all these stores into uh, Party Cities. And that really gave Party City uh, the number of stores they have today, which is around 900 stores. Stores. Mm-hmm. And we, we really spent a lot of time redoing these stores and taking them from the original concept that we bought to the Party City concept, which was a different merchandising concept uh, than theirs in most cases. So it, w- it was a uh, very busy time. We spent a lot of time traveling I spent most of my time on the retail side, and Jim spent most of his time on the wholesale side. That's how we ran the company for pretty close to 14 years, 12, 14 Mm -hmm. years at at that point.
1: And and one Uh, thing, Jerry, which I've been super impressed by from Party City is, uh, and actually seeing some of the stores converted here on the West Coast, is how you thought about that new merchandising strategy, that new in-store experience and what you were trying to accomplish because I, I could almost you know, immediately feel a massive shift in terms of how nice it was to shop there, how easy it was to shop, how many new things I put in my basket versus what I'd done before. How did you think about that and and what was the type of experience that you were going after when you took over integrating these stores and running retail?
2: So uh, when, when I came on to Ampskin, I came in uh, originally as the... Uh, Vice President of Product Development, and having the printing background that I had, I understood, the, you know, color, and I understood how product was made, and what, what I decided to do uh, at Amscan for the first 10 years was we were a wholesaler and a manufacturer, but we actually ran ourselves and created our product as we were retailers, so we didn't create items. We we would create programs for the retailers. So instead of saying, buy this item or that item, we'd say, buy this four-foot program. It's all here, everything you need. And so we did that time and time again over a 10-year period. So we were really doing a lot of merchandising for party stores as a manufacturer. And that gave me and the people at Amscan great insight on the merchandising side of uh, the retail stores. Uh, we came up with things that now exist in a party city before there was before we actually owned the party city. Uh, for an example, we have a balloon wall. We call it where we merchandise all the balloons blown up on a huge wall that can run anywhere from 40 to 70 running feet of balloons uh, with, with all types of shapes and sizes of balloons so people could see them. So, you know, the, uh, the concept back then was if you, instead of selling a balloon in a package that you only saw, you know, a picture of the balloon, this way, you would see the balloon itself blown up. Mm-hmm. And the balloons got very sophisticated, and then today they're extremely sophisticated. And to see them is to emotionally get attached to them quickly. And so when you see these big balloons, you didn't care as much about how much they cost as I really want that because, mm-hmm. of the, because they're buying it for a special occasion. So we really did that throughout the store, Michael.
1: That's that's really interesting. I mean, uh, what other visual uh, techniques did you deploy? And I'm curious if there are any other lessons as you think about um, some of the other, you know, potentially category killers or big box retailers who are now going through their reimagination that uh, uh, that strike you could be useful from this experience.
2: Well, you know, every business is different, and the party business is very different than a lot of other businesses that are out there. So uh, as an example, in the kids' birthday area, you know, in the beginning for close to 15, 20 years, the kids' birthday area was merchandised with lots of random items in the sections. And so, you know, you'd find a plate, a napkin, a cup, and a table cover, and then possibly a hat and a horn. But after that, it was very random. And every section was different. And so if you walk down an aisle and you could have 20 to 30 different um, uh, licensed characters or ensembles in a section, uh, every section was different. So what we Mm -hmm. did was we said, you know what, you're having a party. So you're really only buying one of these, these, uh, these, licenses or or or, or uh, ensembles. And so we're going to make each section the same. Right. So it's organized. And so we did that in uh, four-foot sections all the way down the store for all the boys' birthdays and all the girls' birthdays. And the sales went up dramatically because everything was the same and people really wanted all these products. So yeah. because... We were manufacturing the products. That's when we became uh, vertically integrated. We could do that very easily and use our creativity.
1: And how do you think the digital world is changing all of this? If if it is, as you think about, you know, the in-store experience, the uh, the things you have to do to, you know, capture the imagination of the customers, you obviously have done. How is the digital world impacting that, and and what? Uh, what do you think are some of the implications of all of that?
2: Yeah, well, when we bought Party City, uh, we took and opened up a website back then. So our website's been online for quite a few years, over 12 years now, and we really merchandised our website. If you go to it, you will see it's merchandised very similar to how the stores are merchandised. Now you'll find a lot more product. We call it the endless, endless aisle because we can we have. As much room as we want on the website, but yep. the stores, the website is very organized. Where when you click on a character that you're going to buy, uh, one of the licenses, you will see all the components there. And it's mm-hmm. very easy to purchase your party at one click, or you can pick them all out yourself, but they're all very organized and together.
1: So you really identified, again, that, that seamless integration between retail and the web as being critical very early on and also making it as frictionless as possible and as easy for the customer in either environment to to both be uh, excited by the product but also to find it very, very easily. Is that is that a fair description?
2: That's, that's exactly what we did.
1: Mm-hmm. There's so many retailers that uh, I certainly uh, uh, shop around, and and the hierarchy on the website seems to be off. Finding the product, the links to other products, um, ideas that they might want to suggest of things that I'd buy that you can do well in a store just don't seem to be there at all. So um, that's uh, that's really interesting, Jerry. We're going to take a, another short break now, and then when we come back, I'd love to switch topics maybe a little bit and say and ask you a little bit about where you shop when you wander stores and what you find uh, particularly interesting in, uh, in your travels around the retail world. You're listening to ShopCast and I'm Michael Dart here with Jerry Rittenberg, Executive Chairman of Party City Amscan.
3: The business community's first choice in internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network.
4: Even if you've been in sales for decades, new technology, new buyers, and new dynamics create challenges your team may not be ready for. Value Prime Solutions enables you to focus on sales, on the prospects and customers, not the noise. And the sales framework you implement with them is simple, scalable, and proven. Check out valueprimesolutions.com and ask how they can help you beat your target. Only 12% of companies from the original Fortune
0: 500 list remain on the list today. How do you ensure your organization stands the test of time? A.T. Kearney works with Fortune 500 companies every day to answer this question. Visit atkearney.com to find out more. The American consumer market will soon include six generations for the first time. Prepare for the era of personalization and total connectivity with insights from consumers at 250. Join the conversation at ATcarney.com forward slash consumers dash 250. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy.
3: Voice America Business Network.
0: You're tuned in to ShopCast, talking retail strategy, featuring Michael Dart as your host. Now, back to this week's program.
1: Welcome back to ShopCast. I'm here with Jerry Rittenberg, Executive Chairman of Party City, and we've been talking a lot about the success and the way in which Party City has evolved over the years. Jerry, as I mentioned just before the break, I'd love to switch topics here a little bit and uh, talk more broadly about retail. Uh, you obviously, uh, and I know personally, spend a lot of time shopping, looking at different stores, different types of stores, what's working, what's not working. And I was curious uh, what retailers uh, do you admire most right now, who seems to be doing the right things, and uh, what do you think they're doing that, uh, that's working in this environment? Okay,
2: uh, well, I'm a big fan of value-oriented retailers. I think they're the ones that uh, have been able to survive through the, the shift, and I think they're the ones that are going to prosper in the future. I think the dollar stores are doing a great job. Uh, Five Below is doing a great job. I think um, TJ Maxx and Marshalls mm-hmm. have done a really nice job. Uh, They all have something special going on. They like to call it the treasure hunt. I think that's important. Uh, People feel good when they shop in these stores today. And I think, uh, you know, if you're a retailer today, you got to really make a a note that this is where these stores are doing really well, and this is what people like. Mm -hmm. And uh, they jumped on it early on. It was very hard to see early on, but... These guys have been doing it now for some years, and I think there's a lot of retailers and, in the department store league that are trying to catch up. And it's uh, it's a, not an easy, easy thing to do, It's to change the model of your store. Yeah, uh, and
1: particularly when you've got the overhead structure a lot of these companies have as well, it's hard to, uh, to hit the price points that a lot of these other discount retailers have as well.
2: It's going to be difficult. But it's going to be an interesting uh, um, uh, next few years to see how some of these, you know, you can never underestimate uh, a company like Best Buy. You know, they weren't doing very well uh, for a little while there. And now all of a sudden, uh, they're doing great. They changed. They shifted. They they changed their model. Yeah. You, their stores are more experiential. You feel good in there. Uh, so, you know, it can be done.
1: Well... It certainly is a good success story, Best Buy. And uh, they certainly seem to be uh, on the leading edge of that. And, uh, Jerry, I want to say thanks so much for joining us. This has been uh, just a great conversation and really illuminating. And uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, look forward to catching up with you again in person sometime soon.
2: Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. It was fun. Take care now.
1: And Jerry's last point is a perfect lead-in as he discusses sort of what's working in retail and, and uh, who's doing a great job, to our next guest, who is uh, Dana Telsey. She is Chief Executive Officer and Chief Research Officer of the Telsi Advisory Group, which was founded in 2006. Uh, it's a leading equity research, trade execution, investment banking, and consulting firm focusing on the consumer space. Uh, in 2015, uh, Dana formed Telsi Consumer Fund Management, LP, an asset management firm, uh, that actually looks to utilize a long-slash-short strategy investing in consumer-based companies as well. Uh, she's been uh, a, an analyst at, uh, at Bear Stearns and actually uh, uh, covered the retail sector as their senior managing director. And in 2016, she was the number one stock picker for multi-line retail. 2015, the NRF, the National Retail Federations, uh, one of 24 of the winners of the list of people shaping retail's future. And 2014 was Woman-Owned Brokerage of the Year by Traders Magazine, so an uh, uh, incredible success story. And interestingly enough, Dana has an undergraduate degree in history and Spanish, and uh, uh, which is uh, interesting, but also has an MBA from Fordham University. So Dana, welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us.
5: Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much for having me.
1: So my first question uh, to you is... Uh, A history and Spanish degree, but you're obviously enthused and fascinated about retail. Uh, I wonder what it was that captured your imagination and what's kept you so passionate about retail.
5: I grew up in a family of retailers. I grew up in Manhattan, and my family had a bookstore on Madison Avenue, and my grandfather was cash register number one, my mom was number two, and I was number three. (laughs) And then my mom went on to Fred the Furrier, my grandmother went on to Bergdorf, and it's always been about satisfying the customer. I love the ability that you can speak with people, you can see what they like, what they're buying, you can try to upsell them, and it's a very dynamic, communicative industry, and the speed at which it's moving now is faster than it ever has before.
1: Yeah. So you uh, just grew up. Your roots were in retail from the beginning and yeah. uh, and you stayed in it and you love it. So do you exactly. enjoy shopping now? And even though it's so much of your work, do you actually enjoy going out in the retail world and uh, and shopping and spending time there just for fun?
5: Love it. It's it isn't work to me. It's kind of what I do. It's what I've been doing my whole life. Whether it's every weekend, every city that I go to, I always make sure to check out the latest shopping center. And now, integrated into my process is even web checks, taking a look at companies' websites on a week over week basis to see what's changed. So you can marry the art of what you see in the stores. With what you see on the screen. So yes, I do like it. I do like being able to interact. I do like seeing. And that's what's so great about our industry. Pictures can replace words or can be an Mm -hmm. enhancement to words. And everyone can have their own opinion about what they like or don't like.
1: Yeah, that's true. So where do you like to go and why?
5: I like to go everywhere. I mean, I like to go out to some of the outlet centers. I like to go to the discount stores. I like to go to the high-end stores. There isn't a place where you can't learn from what a retail store is doing today to influence other businesses tomorrow. I'll give you an example. I was in Tokyo, actually, over Mm -hmm. New Year's, and I was in Muji. And we're going down the escalator, and there's a man there who looked like the manager. And we exchanged words, and I said, what a beautiful flagship store. And he happened to be the president of Muji. So you never know who you're going to run into, (laughs) because I think people have a passion for retail stores. They never want to leave it, but they want to marry it with online, too, because there is a next evolution. And I'm seeing all the stores incorporate new elements into their selling processes.
1: And just out of curiosity did uh, did he spend time with you and share with you what uh, what Muji's up to and uh, uh, and what the uh, the store was trying to accomplish in its new flagship?
5: Yes, I mean what I saw in that flagship in Tokyo, the food aspect of that flagship was so inviting. They put it on the second floor, not on the first floor. You see so many times cafes sometimes are put on the first floor. It was yeah. all healthy foods, you could tell the organic that were in it. And what they put next to it was an area that changed on a biweekly basis in order to showcase new items to those people who spent more time in the store. So they were marrying the activity of buying with the experience of doing at the same time.
1: Wow. Interesting. So you spend all your time uh, out learning about retail, really understanding what's going on. So what, what do you see are the biggest drivers of the change in the retail world right now? Obviously, Dramatic changes. It's barely a day goes past when you don't hear some big news either somebody in distress or somebody combining with somebody else Um, What do you think uh, is driving all of this and where's it going?
5: I think the pace of how consumers can consume, that the options they have today are so much wider than they've ever had before. What e-commerce has done and then obviously the fast growth of Amazon, my colleague Joe Feldman and his team just put out a big piece on Amazon and the changes that are happening in the landscape. And even though we know that the scale at which Amazon has grown today, it's only going to grow so much bigger in the future. And I think brands and also retailers are learning from Amazon and Amazon is learning from these retailers. So I think what's the, biggest, what's the biggest surprise? How companies and brands are adapting today because the speed of change will only continue to accelerate. And with the personalization and globalization out there, the world is big and small at the same time. Knowing your customer matters. And I think how companies are knowing their customer is what's going to allow them to be successful in the future.
1: It sounded like you were pretty optimistic or are optimistic about, um, you know, brands and retailers responding to Amazon. Is, is that right? Because uh, I look at it and I just feel that uh, uh, the rate of change is actually not fast enough for most retailers. And a lot are actually going to struggle pretty significantly given, given the lead that Amazon has. I mean, I'm sure your study goes into this. But uh, I was looking at some data the other day that said that Amazon uh, actually is now the leading place for searches for any product. You know, like a quarter of all searches begin on Amazon, whereas less than 20% begin on Google and less than 10% are beginning on branded company websites, et cetera. So um, uh, are you optimistic about people's response to Amazon and what they're doing?
5: I think that brands have an idea, brand ha, a brand has to say what it does and do what it says and i mm-hmm. think we're only at the beginning of seeing how the wholesale channel of amazon is going to integrate with brands i think one of the things is if you think about the experience of a brand how do you keep the price points price integrity price transparency so we're yep. seeing companies like a nike like a children's place like guess all be on amazon or certain brands of vf corp but i think it and look at intimate apparel pva and their Calvin Klein Intimate Apparel that's on Amazon. I think it has to be managed very carefully because you don't want to lose that brand integrity. And being able to maintain your own brand silo with your own stores, your own websites, allows you to have that exclusivity and manage your identity. I don't think that It's in the near term that we're going to see all brands go to Amazon until there's separate web shops and there's that separate integrity of the brand that's being able to be maintained on Amazon. Because when you think about the wholesale channel, take a look at the department stores. We're seeing a significant change in department stores and brands that are selling in department stores and the quantity of which they sell into department stores. You have to go where the eyeballs are, and being mm-hmm. able to manage those eyeballs in a way that maintains your brand identity is going to be key. And that's the, over the next five years, I think, that we see this passage evolve.
1: Dana, we're going to take a short break right now, but I want to pick up on uh, the evolution of Amazon and, and how you think brands are going to play on Amazon when we return right after the break. I'm here with Dana Telsey, and she is Chief Executive Officer of the Telsey Group, the advisory firm.
3: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
4: Even if you've been in sales for decades, new technology, new buyers, and new dynamics create challenges your team may not be ready for. Value Prime Solutions enables you to focus on sales, on the prospects and customers, not the noise. And the sales framework you implement with them is simple, scalable, and proven. Check out valueprimesolutions.com and ask how they can help you beat your target.
0: Only 12% of companies from the original Fortune 500 list remain on the list today. How do you ensure your organization stands the test of time? A.T. Kearney works with Fortune 500 companies every day to answer this question. Visit atkearney.com to find out more. The American consumer market will soon include six generations for the first time. Prepare for the era of personalization and total connectivity with insights from consumers at 250. Join the conversation at ATCarney.com forward slash consumers dash 250.
3: The Voice America Live Events channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: You're tuned in to ShopCast, talking retail strategy, featuring Michael Dart as your host. Now, back to this week's program.
1: Welcome back to ShopCast. I'm here with Dana Telsey. And uh, Dana, we were just talking before the break about uh, what brands need to do to, I guess, utilize Amazon most effectively. And you mentioned something interesting about Amazon going to shopping shops and potentially the brands getting more control on Amazon. And I was was curious if you could just uh, explain a little bit more about uh, what your thinking is there and how you think this is going to evolve.
5: Look what we've been seeing. Amazon's rapidly expanding its assortment in athletic apparel and footwear. They have partnerships with companies like Adidas and Brooks and Mizuno, Nike, and Under Armour. And they're continuing to add several new SKUs within their own accessory base. So I think the large base of Prime members, the SKU expansion, and newer initiatives, whether it's private brands, Prime Wardrobe, Spark, we think that Amazon's fashion business can grow basically from an estimated $32.5 billion in 2017 to reach nearly $63.5 billion in 2020. My wow. colleague Joe Feldman and his, his team put together a terrific landscape of what Amazon looks like in the future.
1: Wow. So you, you're seeing a doubling of their... Powell sales over the next, was that about three to five years or so?
5: I mean, it's it's going to take time to do. I mean, certainly yep. by in, in 2020, it could scale. What you've seen now is if you think about their fashion business, it, it's expanding its vendors with direct selling from leading brands like BCBG, Calvin Klein, Theory, yep. Vince Camuto. So they're selling brands and they're basically have a value focus on, on those brands because of the way that they can supply.
1: Okay. So given all of this and uh, given you know all of this change, all of these dynamics taking place, what does it take to win in this new retail world?
5: I've always thought there's three elements that make a retailer successful or a brand successful. And those still hold today, but the drivers are different than what they were in the past. The first is about it being a successful concept, and what makes the concept successful is product innovation. Product innovation allows you to get the repeat customers to have a successful concept. Execution, it used to mean just inventory management to me. But today, mm-hmm. to be successful in execution, you need speed. Speed of product delivery to the customer and speed of product development to the shelf. And then management. Management it used to be what made them successful as having a vision. But today, it's the data that helps them develop that vision and And execute that vision. So concept, execution, and management have the synonyms of product innovation, speed, and data. And whenever talking to companies, you speak about those three elements, it could really get the landscape of the business model.
1: Mm -hmm. So who do you think is doing a great job?
5: I think there's a bunch of companies that have adapted and that are winning today. You can look at companies, for example, what Walmart has done to transform themselves. Look how they just changed the name of the company. It's not Walmart stores anymore. Look at Home Depot, LVMH, and PVH. LVMH with over 50 brands. PVH with Calvin Klein and Tommy Hilfiger, where they've reinvented the business model. Look at Off Price, where that segment overall attracts such such terrific traffic increases, whether it's Burlington, whether it's Ross, brands, they're partners with these off-pricers like TJ. And take a look at Ulta on the cosmetic side. We've seen Sephora and Ulta transform the cosmetics industry away from some of the department stores. And why? Because they provide the experience of having your makeup done, of testing, and basically the environment in which you're purchasing those cosmetics, it becomes a wow. And if you think about activity, think about Lululemon. Look how Lululemon in this current real estate environment is opening some stores that are a little bit larger, and they have classes there the Lululemon near where I live, 62% of the people who take classes in that Lululemon store are men. So I think what Mm. we said before, marrying the activity of doing with the experience of buying helps you have a winning concept today.
1: So it seems to me part of what you outlined there and and data that I've looked at as well says that there's those companies, and Jerry referred to it in in the first discussion today as well, which is there are companies which are really focused on great value you know, off price, you know, the treasure hunt, the outlets, etc. And they seem to be doing pretty well. And then there's those that are highly experiential, maybe like the Lululemon you just described, that are also doing pretty well. Certainly the beauty stores, Alta, Sephora, incredibly experiential. Um, there's a lot of people, it seems, who are stuck in the middle, particularly a lot of the department stores. Do you think they have the wherewithal, the ability, the capacity to change given this, given this environment?
5: The department stores are very big and they're moving to change. Around three years ago, it was almost like all retailers were deer in the headlights. And look today what's happened. Buy online, pick up in store, new loyalty programs, using social media to attract younger customers like millennials. I think closing stores in order to have stores that are more productive in the right locations. I think they're making their way, and they're moving faster than they ever have before.
1: Mm-hmm. So you, you're optimistic that... Uh, I think they're
5: gonna, there's going to be fewer department stores in terms of yep. the number of doors. I think they'll be, at the end of the day, they should be able to manage their profits a little bit better than what they had in the past. And I think they'll become more relevant. They're working to figure out and they need to expand the categories because just having clothing doesn't work anymore. The clothing took up such a great part of department stores in the 80s and the 90s as more women entered the workforce. And today, with a more casual environment, which is what we have, you don't need four different usage occasions for clothing. Work, weekend, gym, and party. Now, what you wear to work, you wear on the weekend. What you wear on the weekend, you wear to the gym. So it's only two reasons that you need that clothing. And they have to figure out what are the other categories. Some will do it better than others. And we're beginning to see the transformations occur.
1: Muji obviously did an incredible job, you pointed out earlier, uh, with their, their food, et cetera. Is there anybody who you think in the U.S. is close to what they're doing and, and doing such a great job?
5: You know what's very interesting that always drives a lot of traffic, that marries the activity of buying with the experience of doing? Take a look at Italy. Italy has yeah, food yeah. classes, they have a grocery, they, you can go for an ice cream, you can go for dinner, and it's always a destination. That's
1: exciting. Yeah. Last question. Uh, We've been talking a lot about today and a lot of the trends. If you look out on the horizon, and I know that you do a lot of future thinking as well, what do you see out there that really is, you know, if, if right now hasn't manifested itself in terms of impacting a lot of retailers, is going to impact them in, you know, three to five years? Is there anything that you would tell retailers, hey, watch for this, because if this develops, it really could be a big idea uh, could, again, cause dramatic shifts in your business model and the way in which the consumer interacts with you?
5: I think the way all of us are going to be informed is going to change. Data analytics, AI, are all part going to become part of our vocabulary. They're going to be part of the capital spending of retailers on a regular basis. And the reason why globalization matters. The customer base isn't just your local customer base. It's a global customer base. And so now with Instagram and with the ability to learn about new trends at the speed of lightning, essentially, the ability to cater to such a wide audience becomes essential. So I'm personalizing the experience. I'm marrying that with global reach using AI, data analytics in order to inform of where you go next. If you're not ahead of the game in those investments, if you're not paying attention to that data, and there can be a lot of it, and that's why you have to boil it down to what are the three things that make a difference? Because I always looked at it as like three- to five-year game plans. What are you going to achieve now? What are you working on in order to get to next? So globalization, personalization, and localization help you marry the activity of doing with the experience of buying.
1: I think that's really interesting because... Uh, at least from my vantage point, I've looked at it and thought, who is going to do, be able to do better personalization in the future than Amazon? So that seems as almost, and I look forward to reading your report, by the way, uh, it looks as though Amazon's just got another advantage because they get so much information about every single household.
5: Right, right. Yeah. They
1: do. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a really interesting time. Well, Dana, I want to say thank you very much. This has been a conversation uh, with Dana Telsey, the CEO, Chief Research Officer of the Telsey Advisory Group. And uh, I really appreciate you being on the show. And uh, that, was, uh, that was a great, uh, great set of insights that you provided. So thank you.
5: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Have a good afternoon.
1: You as well. Well, that's a wrap on this week's episode of ShopCast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Michael Dart. I'm your host, and I look forward to talking with you all again next week. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to ShopCast, talking retail strategy. Please join host Michael Dart for another edition of the program next Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And check out past episodes at any time on demand. We hope you enjoy your week.